You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. On October 16, 1888, a Whitechapel neighborhood watch group received a letter addressed from hell, which chillingly described a murder. Even more chillingly, the letter came with what appeared to be a piece of human kidney preserved in spirits. The macabre note was unsigned, but the police had a good idea of who could have sent it. And they had a good idea of who the kidney may have once belonged to, a woman named Catherine Eddowes. Two weeks earlier, early in the morning on September 30th, Eddowes had been discovered gruesomely murdered in London's Mitre Square. Her body and face had been horrendously mutilated, she'd been disemboweled, and her killer had removed her left kidney and most of her uterus, leaving only, quote-unquote, a stump in its place. As an autopsy report grimly noted, quote, the intestines were drawn out to a large extent and placed over the right shoulder. They were smeared over with some feculent matter. A piece of about two feet was quite detached from the body and placed between the body and the left arm, apparently by design. The face was very much mutilated." Edels was not the only woman to be found so gruesomely murdered in Whitechapel in recent weeks. In fact, she was the fourth. Police were also investigating the similar murders of Mary Ann Nichols, Annie Chapman, and Elizabeth Stride, the last of whom had been found dead just 45 minutes before Eddowes' mutilated body was found by a police constable. Unlike the other women, who had at least occasionally turned to sex work to get by, Eddowes' friends and family claimed that she was not a sex worker. In fact, despite her poverty, Eddowes was in a good place in her life. She was in a seven-year relationship with a man so committed that she'd taken his last name, and those who knew her described her as very jolly. But Eddowes did have one thing in common with Nichols, Chapman, and Stride. While walking through the labyrinth of London on one dark night, she crossed paths with one of the city's most infamous serial killers, Jack the Ripper. The notorious murderer would kill Eddowes with a horrifying ferocity unseen in his previous attacks and he would allegedly remove her kidney and send it to the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee just weeks later. This is the story of Catherine Eddowes, Jack the Ripper's fourth canonical victim, and the victim of one of his most vicious attacks. You're listening to History Uncovered, brought to you by the digital publisher All This Interesting, where we explore the uncharted corners of the natural world and the world past. I'm All This Interesting staff writer Kalina Fraga. And I'm All This Interesting staff writer Austin Harvey. Today, we're investigating the death of Catherine Eddowes, Jack Ripper's fourth victim. Bum, bum, bum. Moving right along here with number four. Well, we're kind of picking up like right after the end of the last episode, too. That's right. These two women were found dead within 45 minutes of each other. Right. So this is very like we're just getting right into it. Yeah. Things are escalating in Whitechapel. Um, But we'll we'll, uh, rewind to the beginning of her life to see how she ended up where she did. 
A lot of these stories are starting to sound like pretty similar about these women's upbringings and stuff. Yeah. You know, people end up in certain situations because of their upbringing. It's like you read about this is a weird comparison to draw, but I guess not because we're talking about Jack the Ripper. But like a lot of serial killers have yeah. similar backgrounds to a degree. Right. So, yeah, I think there's been like sense. studies about like what makes a serial killer. And it's like, were they abused as children? Were they like abandoned maybe or things like right. this could contribute um, not to side, but can contribute. Right. Yeah. You have a bunch of women who are in sort of similar situations, dire straits. Yeah. They end up in the same situation. Makes right. sense. Catherine Eddowes, though, like was different in some ways that we'll get into. But to start with, she was born in 1842. I think most of them were born in the 1840s. Mm-hmm. Not a lot is known about her childhood, except that her mother and maybe also her father died when she was young and she was raised by an aunt. And then in the 1860s, she leaves home with a man named Thomas Conway. And this was a very serious relationship. She got a tattoo, TC, on her arm. Wow. It's a big deal. That's, I mean, that on its own is a big deal. I feel like tattoos weren't super common. Maybe not. I don't know that much about Victorian London. I was thinking about this because on our episode on Maud Wagner, who's our yeah, yeah. emblem of the show, like she was operating, I think, in the 1910s and 1920s. And tattoos by that point were seen as like like a bad thing, you know, something like sailors right. got. But there was a period before then that tattoos were kind of an upper class thing. And like there huh. was royalty who got tattoos, British royalty. That's interesting. So yeah, I guess I just don't know much about like the history of tattoos. But I know there are people even today who like see a woman with tattoos and they're like, oh, so for her to get a tattoo as a young woman. And yeah. Like, 1800. I don't know, but may, like maybe you said maybe that is actually. I have a tattoo, but I want to get a second one. I do not have a tattoo, but I really want to get one. You should. It's fun. They're you know, expensive, though. I know. I want to get the, um, you ever, you've read Slaughterhouse-Five, right? A long time ago, yeah. You know that like part with the grave and it says like everything was beautiful and nothing hurt? Mm. I want to get that like right here on my wrist, which oh, I also cool. know would, would be very painful. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I had a friend who wanted, I don't know if you've read The Sound and the Fury, but there is a moment in the book where they describe a billboard of an eye and the, the eye is actually like in the book as well. And he's like, it'd be oh, so cool to get that as a tattoo. That would be cool. That was a really cool idea. Literary tattoos in general. I'm like, yeah, do it. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, her tattoo was not a literary tattoo. It was It was for a guy. Ladies, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it. For a while, things were good between them. They made a living selling cheap novels and writing something called gallows ballads, which is what they sound like. And hmm. in a bit of a macabre twist, she even sold one of her gallows ballads at the execution of her cousin. So Wow. That's great marketing. Yeah. <laughs> it's something. Um, do you know, it might not have come up, but do you know why her cousin was being executed? I don't know. No. That's eh, it's okay then. Anyway, she and Thomas Conway have three children together, including a daughter named Annie. But as we've seen with some of the other women, Eddowes is a big drinker. Conway does not drink. And their daughter, Annie, says they split in 1881 entirely on account of her drinking habits. So she was an alcoholic. That became a problem in, in her marriage, like most of these other women we've been talking about. Also like them, she then moves into a lodging house where she then meets a man named John Kelly. This is also a pretty stable relationship. They're together for the next seven years until hmm. Edo's dies, actually. Oh, wow. And she, she, though they're not married, she takes his last name. So she's known to some as Kate Kelly. It's hmm. a cute name. Kate, Kate Kelly. Kelly. Yeah, it's a cute name. Any Kate Kellys out there, you got a cute name. <laughs> Interestingly, like, you know, the other women were acknowledged as sex workers and 
Catherine Eddowes' family and friends say that she wasn't a sex worker, and they insist that she made her money through working odd jobs. It's possible they were just saying this to protect her reputation, but interesting difference. There's less reason to think she would have been if she was in two fairly long-term relationships. Yeah, I mean, it's like money's money, I guess. But yeah, yeah, maybe maybe being with someone made that a less attractive option. Yeah, well, I I mean, that's kind of like the point of the other women, right, is that they were like Catherine Eddowes were heavy drinkers, but who had relationships that fell apart. Yeah. But most of them didn't then get into another stable relationship. Right. Some of them were in like tumultuous on and off relationships, but they were more on their own Mm -hmm. and would have had to maybe turn to sex work. Right. Plus, yeah, because when their husbands died or whatever, like they no longer got this like allowance from them. Right. Which could have helped support them. They were a little more financially desperate. Not that you have to be to be a sex worker, but it seems like that was the case in each of those. Yeah, certainly in this group of women. Yeah. Where it seems like less of a factor here. Yeah. People who knew her described her as an intelligent, scholarly woman, but a fiery temperament and a very jolly woman always singing. Yeah. Which is sad, (laughs) given how things ended for her, but... Yeah. And also, I mean, she was an author and an Mm -hmm. alcoholic, so that all fits. Yes. So let's fast forward now to 1888. Her last days alive were pretty normal for her. She and John Kelly went out to pick hops in hopes of making some money, but were pretty disappointed by the harvest. John Kelly said, We didn't get along too well and started to hoof it home. Luck was dead against us. We were both done up for cash. Okay, so I guess they are pretty desperate They're pretty for poor, cash, yeah. So they get back to London on September 28th. Kelly goes to a lodging house and Eddowes goes somewhere called the Casual Ward where the poor could go when they're really sick, hmm. which seems like a level below a lodging house because right. you're, you're ill, apparently. And this is like a very strange and very, very, very unverified. And I'm sure this came out like from the newspapers trying to stir up a scoop. But she allegedly told a superintendent um, at the casual ward that hopping had been a bust and she had another idea of how to make money. So she apparently said, I've come back to earn the reward offered for the apprehension of the Whitechapel murderer. I think I know him. Huh. That, of course, is Jack the Ripper. Right. But that's a very unverified claim. Very unverified. Yes. Oh, man. I wrote that in all caps in our outline because it's yeah. very unverified. But that's really interesting if... Yeah, right. If so. Yeah. I can see why that would be... Why people would include that in the story. Mm-hmm. For sure. I can sure. see why that propagates. Yeah. So the superintendent apparently warns her to be careful, you know, in case the murder doesn't, like, murder her. And right. Eddowes said, oh, no fear of that. Again, not verified. On September 29th, she's kicked out of the ward for unknown reasons and goes to find Kelly. They spend the day together trying to think of ways to get money, and Eddowes tells him she'll go get money from her daughter. This is sort of a bad idea because her daughter Annie has moved a bunch to try to avoid her mother, who is always asking for money. But Eddowes says she'll be back by 4 p.m. Kelly said after Eddowes' death... I never knew if she went to her daughter's at all. I only wish she had, for we had lived together for some time and never had a quarrel. So that's pretty sad. That's an interesting way of saying, like, you loved somebody and they <laughs> yeah. died. It's a very British kind it's of like, Man, way. I really wish she hadn't died. We never fought. We never had a quarrel. He also allegedly told her to watch out for the Whitechapel murderer, to which Eddowes replied, Don't you fear for me. I'll take care of myself and I shan't fall into his hands. Ugh. Yes. Famous last words. Um, again, all super unverified, although if true, like, oof. Yeah. And also, like, if true, a very interesting indication of how, like, deep the stories of all these killings had seeped into society. You know, like, she's not someone, right. I mean, I'm making an assumption here, but maybe not someone who's, like, reading the newspaper every day or, I don't know, she's kind of busy trying to stay alive and get money. 
And she's heard these stories. Yeah, yeah. And he's heard these stories. So so now we're up to her last night alive. It's kind of unclear what she did for most of the afternoon, but it's likely she didn't do what she said she was going to do, which was to go ask her daughter for money. Right. What we do know is that by 8 or 8.30, a police constable named Robinson finds her sprawled out drunk on the pavement um, in Aldgate Street, surrounded by a crowd. So I, I guess we do know what she did. <laughs> we have an idea, yeah. She's so drunk she can hardly stand, and no one in the crowd knows who she is or where she lives. So he takes her to the Bishop's Gate police station to sleep it off. Uh, she's not very cooperative. They ask for her name. She says it's nothing. She's kept in a cell, uh, and she falls asleep there. At 12.15 a.m., this is now on September 30th, one of the guards hears her singing, and she asks when she'll be released. The guard says, when you are capable of taking care of yourself. And she says, I can do that now. Bad prison guard. I know. Yeah. Bad prison guard for multiple reasons. One, you're just taking this heavily intoxicated person at their word that they're fine. Uh huh. Two, you know there's a murderer. Yes. And it's 1215 in the morning. Yeah. It's like prime so murdering maybe, time. Maybe just be like, why don't you just stay here until the morning and then we can get you on your way safely. Yeah. That might have been a good decision on his part but that's not what happened uh she lies and tells him her name is mary ann kelly which is almost the name of the next victim but not quite i had to like double check and make sure it wasn't me too i was like that'd be weird this one's getting very weird yeah the officer tells her to go home he says it's too late to have another drink just you know go home but she leaves the jail and walks the opposite direction from home and goes back to Allgate Street. Yeah, I was going to say, based on other things we've seen, it's definitely not too late to have a drink. Right, that's true, too, yeah. It's like, you know, it's 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 actually not. Bars are open, very open at 12.15 in yeah. the morning, even yeah. in Victorian London. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. She goes off into the night at 1.30 a.m. She is seen alive for the last time by three Jewish men, Joseph Lond, Joseph Hyam Levy, and Harry Harris. And by this point, Elizabeth Stride had been murdered and her body had been found 30 minutes Oof. earlier. And not Oof. very far away. But this, you know, no one really knew that yet. Was there a really large Jewish population in Whitechapel? It's a good question. I just, because the last story, the guy's name was Israel Schwartz. Yes. And there's more stuff about a Jewish suspect coming up. And I think that yes. it could be, too, that this was another thing that could have been conflated by the press. I don't really know. The Jewish population in London at the time... In 1880, it was about 46,000, but by 1919, it grew to 250,000. Hmm. So it seems like there was a uh, mass influx of Jewish people at this time. Well, London itself was growing pretty quickly at this time, too, I right. believe. So that makes sense. Yeah. These three guys see her with a man, and they one of them describes the man later as being about 30 years old, um, five foot seven, a fair complexion and a mustache and a medium build. He says that the man was wearing a loose fitting salt and pepper colored jacket and a gray cloth cap. 
and he had a reddish handkerchief around his neck. The gray cloth cap is interesting because that kind of sounds like what the other witness saw for Annie Chapman. Anyway, this guy thinks that maybe he could be a a sailor or Hmm. something. 15 minutes after that, she's discovered brutally murdered and... I mean, brutally. At 1.45 a.m., a constable named Edward Watkins comes across Eddowes' body in Mitre Square. She's lying on her back, her skirts pulled up over her waist, which is something we've seen before with the victims. Watkins runs to get a retired policeman named George Morris, who he knows is working as a night watchman nearby. And he tells him, for God's sake, man, come to my assistance. Here is another woman cut to pieces. Jeez. I know. (laughs) Yeah. The doctor arrives 15 minutes later and takes a look. Meanwhile, Morris, the watchman, is apparently baffled because he didn't hear anything. And newspapers later say that he was like very, you know, like in tune with his surroundings. So he could like hear the policemen on their beats. And Mm -hmm. he thought it was impossible that a woman could have uttered any sound without him hearing it. And he had apparently remarked to some policemen um, that he wished that the butcher, meaning Jack the Ripper, would come around Mitre Square and he would give him a doing. Yeah, the butcher had come and he'd been perfectly ignorant of it. So, jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Really put your uh, money where your mouth is on that one, man. Right. Not a great night watchman here. No, no. That's like, I, it's not funny, but it's, you know, it is to a degree where it's like, yeah, well, but if he showed up around Mitre Square, I'd, I'd show him what's for. And it's like, right. Meanwhile, behind him, 10 steps away from you, someone's just been murdered. Like, yeah, horribly. exactly. Horribly. It really was horrible. Um, As the doctor soon discovers, her throat had been cut across six or seven inches. She'd been disemboweled. The doctor said, and this is gross, if you don't like gross things, like skip ahead, but uh, he says, the intestines were drawn out to a large extent and placed over the right shoulder. They were smeared with some feculent matter. A piece of about two feet was quite detached from the body and placed between the body and the left arm, apparently by design. He says her face was very mutilated. This is kind of new. The attacker had cut her cheeks, eyelid, and nose. He'd also taken her left kidney, cut up her uterus, and taken most of it from her body. The mutations were all done after death, fortunately. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The doctor says the wound on the throat happened... First, probably when Eddowes was already on the ground, and he believed that the killer must have considerable knowledge of the position of the organs, as it would require a great deal of medical knowledge to have removed the kidney. But he doesn't know why someone would have done that. He says it would be no use for any professional purpose. I guess the idea of being like, if it's like an organ, yeah. I don't know, it could right, be like a right. donor back then. So Yeah, you're not selling black market kidneys on right. the dark web. Yeah. yeah. Well, it also goes to explain why this night watchman, he said if he'd heard a woman scream, he would have heard it, but yeah, she obviously didn't scream. It was a pretty quick attack, it seems. He jumped her and cut her throat. And well, Yeah, if her throat was cut first, like she's not going to be able to make any noise now. Yeah, Ugh, horrible. Interestingly, given how... The last couple of crime scenes were. There were a couple of clues this time. Um, the police found a piece of Eddowes' apron covered in blood and fecal matter in a nearby passageway, which suggested that the killer had returned to Whitechapel. Mm. And then there was graffiti nearby, which said the Jews, J-U-W-E-S, are the men that will not be blamed for nothing. And police weren't sure that this was related to the murder or just some graffiti someone had left so they uh, washed it away they didn't want to cause like a riot the next day that double negative is throwing me off the men that will not be blamed for nothing will not be blamed for nothing the jews are the men got that part that part's clear to me that will not be will not be blamed for nothing is that saying that jews are blamed for everything like is that what they're trying to say like it's like oh you know we always blame everything on the jews 
so they will not be blamed for nothing. That's real. This is like really genuinely confusing. This isn't like a bit that I'm like so confused. <laughs> it is confusing. By what this means. If anyone listening has like, maybe it's just like my brain's just not firing on the right cylinders right now. If if someone could explain that to me, that will not be blamed for nothing. Well, let's see. If we said they're the men that will not, that will be blamed for nothing, that would mean they'll be blamed for nothing for no reason. Right. Will not be blamed for nothing. I guess it means, yeah, anything. It's not a very good sentence. No. No, very no, bad sentence. It's, that's so confusing. I think adding to the intrigue of this case, I mean, there's a couple of things. There's, okay, A, Elizabeth Stride was found 45 minutes earlier. Right. B, there's these like kind of clues. And C, now we're starting to get these Jack the Ripper letters, yeah. which like we've talked about are not super verified, but. Right. But they also have bad spelling. They do. Which yes. could indicate something. I'm going to assume the graffiti was not him because that seems like a lot to do in yeah. 15 minutes, like on top of disemboweling and the murder and all that right. to then also do graffiti because that would be like that'd be like stupidly risky you just murder somebody and now you're gonna go vandalize right i mean imagine you, you could have done that for first. the graffiti wow that's true but he was it, well yeah i don't know but it presumably was with her unless that was like he was like hey watch this did the graffiti and then did the murder yeah that's devious yeah i don't know it'd just be a weird thing imagine you're a murderer and you get caught for vandalism right i think that's like that would be how it went down. It's like how Ted Bundy was caught for like a traffic violation. Right. Or Jared Fogel, not a <laughs> killer, but a pedophile, was caught because his friend was caught for something else first. Yeah. And they were able to trick. Like, it's like, yeah, you're right. That is usually how it goes, I guess. Often. You're not caught in the act of murdering. It's like, hey, you didn't pay your taxes also. Mm-hmm. That's how they got uh, Al Capone, right? That was with taxes. A lot of those mobsters. Yeah. A couple of days before Stryas and Eddowes were killed, police received the Dear Boss letter, which first gave Jack Ripper his name. Then about two weeks afterwards, on October 16th, the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee received what's called the From Hell letter and a piece of kidney, which seemed to be human kidney. Yeah, which I probably makes this the most likely letter to have come from. Yeah, that's kind of what they think. The letter is is addressed from hell, which is why it's called the from hell letter. And it's to this guy, Mr. Lusk, who was one of the guys who formed this vigilance committee. It's all very bad spelling, but I'll, I'll read it. He said, sir, I send you half the kidney I took from one woman, preserved it for you, the other piece. Oh, sorry, boy, it's like a hard letter to read. Yeah. He said, sir, I send you half the kidney I took from one woman, preserved it for you. The other piece I fried and ate. It was very nice. I may send you the bloody knife that took it out if you only wait a while longer. Signed, catch me when you can, Mr. Lusk. Do you want me to do a reading, but like read it the way it's spelled? <laughs> sure, go ahead. Like, sore. I hit, wait, missed, from hell, Mr. Lusk, sore. I send you half the kidna I took from one woman, preserved it for you, t'other piece I fried and ate. It was very nice with an S. I may send you the bloody niff that took it out if you only wati a will longer. Signed, catch me when you can, Mr. Lusk. Yeah. To exemplify why that was such a difficult letter <laughs> to get through. Not the best speller here. Interestingly, the kidney seemed to show signs of Bright's disease, which Eddowes apparently had. But, hmm. I mean, it was difficult, I mean, impossible to tell then if the kidney was hers right. or not, or if this letter was authentic. Huh. Yeah. So yeah. She's laid to rest. The previous victims had private funerals. 
hordes of people turned out for Eddowes. Clearly, this is very on the radar of everyone. Yeah. I wonder if did more people turn out for her because just because it was so such big news now or was it because she wasn't a sex worker people felt worse for her i don't know well they said she wasn't a sex worker it was kind of right unclear right. yeah i don't know this one has like a lot going on in it yeah i mean i guess that makes sense though because the last murder was we assume interrupted yeah that's the idea which we kind of yeah we kind of talked about last time that that might have escalated like he was so furious that he grabbed the next woman he saw and like yeah kind of overdid it right and she's in a vulnerable position because she's definitely still drunk yeah yeah and just released from prison like i say a bad prison guard it's that guy's fault this happened absolutely well and it's so sad i mean it's like she was so close to avoiding this fate if only he had been like stay here if she'd fallen asleep yeah or stayed asleep longer and the fact that like not that the other women weren't innocent, right? But in their interpersonal lives, they had a lot more baggage and strife and turmoil. Like, we're always in, like, abusive, bad relationships or, like, situations that, like, no matter how you look at it, it was really, really sad and it didn't seem like it was going to get better. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, yeah, her and John Kelly were poor. They weren't really necessarily doing well. She was an alcoholic, but they were in like, it seemed like a pretty nice relationship. Right. They're making it work. You could see how her life could have turned around. Mm -hmm. So like the loss of potential is also very sad here. It's like an extra layer that maybe wasn't relevant in the other stories. Well, I think it's interesting that the first two women like were pretty open like they were going out to like meet a guy to try to make money for you know to get a bed or whatever right Catherine stride it seemed like was kind of like out on the town like she had like chocolates and or elizabeth stride elizabeth stride sorry elizabeth stride yes yes yes. she was like kind of carrying like objects that might have been gifts um it seemed like she was kind of just having a nice night out in some ways right possibly and same with Catherine eddowes she was doing her own thing it seemed She's just out there drinking herself into oblivion. Getting drinking. Yeah. yeah. But they weren't like putting themselves. I don't want to like victim right, blame here. But they were they were not in these like to, situations yeah. where they were in danger. You know, right, if you're right. doing sex work in Whitechapel in 1888, you're in danger every single time you do that. Right. These women were just kind of. Yeah. I mean, being out late at night could be perceived as dangerous, I guess. But it's different. It's different kind of danger. Well, I guess to split it, to move it towards like his actions, like he first chose two victims that were very easy to get alone and then the next two were ones that he had to attack like attack and not be like let me pay you for sex in theory we right. don't really know what happened between them right 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 yeah i get what you're saying it's it's hard to word it in a way where you're not victim blaming where you're not going like well, they put themselves in this situation, yeah they so. deserved it but or something they it's like they didn't deserve it that's obviously not true mm-hmm. but you're right in that you're putting yourself in a vulnerable position yeah. because you're desperate and it is clear that you're desperate. Mm-hmm. You're intentionally going with a stranger somewhere yeah. to another location. There's just something about the nature of that work that is inherently dangerous. Yeah. And again, an easy place to find victims. Yes. Compared to these two who were more like, yeah, they would have had to be tricked, lord. There was more work Put into yeah. it. Or outright attack. Like it seemed like the last time we saw Elizabeth mm, Stride, right. someone saw her it's grabbed just, and thrown down. Yeah. Seems like something similar could have happened in this situation. The doctor said it seemed like she was on the ground when her knife, when she was killed. Yeah. Right. If she was that drunk, they found her on the ground. 
Yeah. Originally. So she could have just fallen over. Absolutely. Yeah. We have no way of knowing, but I'm, it's one possibility. So keep in mind in this case, like they have a little piece of her apron now. And we're going to talk about right. that in two episodes during our discussion Ugh. episode, because some people claim to have it and they claim that it might, you know, have information. Ah, Yeah. Ah. But we'll get into that coming up. Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like that the police wouldn't have had any reason to keep it. Right. Because there was no way. to. It's like, cool, great. A bloody apron. Throw it away. Yeah. Right. It's like that, like John Mulaney joke where it's like before DNA evidence, they'd be like, we found a bucket of the victim's blood. It's like, gross, throw it out. <laughs> Draw an outline of where the body was. It's right. Like, yeah. Hey, we have a piece of her bloody apron. Ew. Yeah, pretty much. But some claim that they uh, kept hold of it. So huh. we'll get into that. Yeah, that would be that would be interesting. Yeah. But this is a weird one. And the next one's also a weird one. The next one's very brutal. Yeah. Because it's the only instance in which he had a lot of time to yeah. do what he wanted to do. Ugh. A lot of time Oof. compared to, yeah. I, I, it is insane. I know we talked about this with the very, with Marianne Nichols, but they remarked at the time that it seemed impossible for him to have done as much damage as he did in just 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing even more damage now right. this one yeah. in just a short amount of time. Right. It's not, I mean, you could probably stab someone, you know, and slice up their face pretty quickly, but taking out their organs. Yeah. I mean, and arranging them in like a very particular manner. Yeah. You'd have to either have knowledge, I would think, or get lucky. And also he had just killed somebody. Yeah. And so you'd think maybe there'd already be blood or that he's very good at what he does mm-hmm. and didn't have blood on him as a result. Yeah. Or he or, lived nearby and he went home and changed. I, <laughs> I guess there's other options. Who too, knows? But. Or was a butcher and was already covered in blood or something. I mean. Right. Yeah. I mean, they talk about like, yeah, maybe he was like a doctor or a surgeon or something because of how medically complicated some of this stuff would have been as well. Mm-hmm. Probably had a sharp knife because. My favorite theory that is like a, a bit of a spoiler for like later on, but is that Jack the Ripper was a midwife because she would know like where these organs are. She would have medical knowledge. She'd be covered in blood and like walking around and no one would think twice because you're a midwife. You're dealing with blood, you know. But I think that's a very interesting theory. That is. It doesn't explain all of the men that were seen with these women or the single man. I mean, maybe it does. I don't know. I don't know. I just think that's interesting. That would be if they ever proved that to be true. That'd be insane for the true crime community. Yeah. I think there's actually a name that was bandied about, but I'm not 100% sure. We can come back to that. Yeah. Because female serial killers are generally rarer than male serial killers. Well, they usually kill men. They pretty rarely kill other women. Right. Or in like most cases, they're like, you know, it's like a duo, like the Toy Box Killers or the Barbie and Ken Killers. Right. Yeah. It would be very, 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 very unusual to have a female serial killer who kills women mm-hmm. and have it be one of the first serial killers of yeah. recorded history. Right. I don't know. You'd have to like totally reinvent criminal psychology, <laughs> throw it all out, <laughs> throw it all out, start from scratch. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's an interesting theory. And I always think female serial killers are interesting because they kill for like reasons, you know, <laughs> yeah. when they're killing by themselves. Right. <laughs> Right. It's like right. to kill husbands. It's like to get insurance money. It's they have reasons usually or out of some sort of sense of revenge, like the monster played by Charlie's Theron. Mm, mm-hmm. That's an interesting theory. We've lots more of those coming up in two episodes. But yeah. Huh. And there's like a huge gap now. Right. Between this one and the next one. There's about a month. Yeah. Because I think 
Mary Jane Kelly is killed on November 9th, I want to say. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a month, a little over a month. Yeah. So things were getting hot mm-hmm. and then cooled down and then, yeah, comes back with just, I hate to call it that, but the grand finale. Yeah. Very brutal. And then he vanishes. He or she. He or she. Yeah. I guess we'll get into all that in our next two episodes, the final two episodes of the series. Mary Jane Kelly, we have next, and then History Happy Hour again, if I'm not mistaken. So it's going to be like three more weeks until we actually go over the theories and stuff. Yeah, yes. Wow, so wow, Stay wow. tuned. Yeah, I mean, as always, you can read about all these victims and more Jack the Ripper's theories on the website, allthatsinteresting.com. Yeah, I was working just earlier today on a post called Who Was Jack the Ripper? Hey, Talking there you about go. some of the theories, so. A new post or an update of the old post? A new one. Oh, all right. Cool. That's that's cool because I wrote the outline for the the theory discussion, but you'll have your own I'll stuff. I'll have just gone in depth on two theories. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, or you can join our newsletter by going to allinteresting.com slash sign up, or you can become a member at allinteresting.com slash membership. And follow us on uh, social media at History Uncovered Podcast on Instagram, mm-hmm. at Real History Uncovered on TikTok. You can also um, reach out to us if you have a question, if you have something about the show you notice you want to comment on um, or something you want to share. Yeah, if you know what the graffiti was trying to say. <laughs> yeah, can puzzle that out. You can either leave a voicemail, you can call us at 929-526-3029 or you can email us at podcast at allthisinteresting.com um, and we'll be back with more Jack the Ripper next week and then the week after that, History Happy Hour and then the week after that, Jack the Ripper again. History happy hour will be interesting to talk about this month because we've changed up the way we're doing news a little bit. Oh, that's true. So we have some stuff to talk about, about how we've conducted many interviews and stuff. Yeah. Or maybe it won't change anything. I don't know. Maybe it'll be exactly the same as always. I don't know. I think we might kind of get into like what that's been like. We'll see. Well, the, 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 that that's all, folks. Uh, there we have it. All right. <laughs> Till next time. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.